We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovics. Joining me today is Christopher Aaron, founder of iGold Advisor and Elite Private Placements. Thanks for joining me today, Christopher. Thank you, Tom, for having me. Excellent to have you back. And I always look forward to to having a conversation with you, not only about the markets, but about you know how you see the world and everything surrounding it as well. So maybe we can actually start by talking a little bit about the state and stage of this gold market from a broader perspective. You know, if we look at the top in 2011 at $1920 to today, what technicals can we look towards that show us that this isn't another top and what signals show us that the cost was to clear from the low in in 2015? Yeah, I mean excellent starting point, Tom. Uh and for reference uh, this was the topic of the talk that I just gave at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference last week. Um, and it was a good show. So basically, this audience here is only going to be the the second public audience to hear this analysis. And I don't think they've even posted it yet at Cambridge House. So uh, here we go. The big picture perspective here, the difference, you know, if you go back between that 2011 through 2015 bear market, the key signature, the warning signature was after two and a half years of consolidation, gold was above that 1900 level in 2011, and then was moving sideways for about two and a half years into 2013, between a range of roughly 1525 and 1920 on the upside. In April of 2013, gold decisively broke lower through that two-year congestion zone. And the moment that it broke lower, gold actually plummeted by $240 in two trading days. So from 1525, uh, you know, a couple of days later, you were already you were already below 1300 two days later. And from there, gold had a you know, three more years of declining to go till the very end of uh, of 2015, and a lot of these mining companies fell by 90 to 95 percent during that period. I'm not exaggerating by that uh, mm-hmm. at all. Uh, so it really is important for us to pay attention to when there are legitimate breakdowns from a multi-year consolidation period. In contrast, what we have seen here in gold over just the last six months. Uh, we had a very similar two, two and a half year consolidation between the mid 1600s and 2075, the the new all-time high. Gold broke down, very similar to how it did in 2013. It broke down in October, excuse me, it was September of 2022, just five months ago. Mm -hmm. The, The key difference is that after breaking down, we did not see this washout in gold. We didn't see it plummet by anything more than 10 to $20 after uh, the original breakdown. Instead, gold started consolidating above the 1615 figure. And I was watching this in real time because we were short. I actually owned a lot of, uh, of put options on gold futures at the time. And 
to our credit, we did get that one right. We made about we doubled our money shorting gold in anticipation of that breakdown. So I was hyper focused on the the gold chart as this breakdown was happening. And I remember speaking to my colleagues after a couple of days and saying, "Hey, this is not following the 2013 playbook here. Uh, we've just seen a breakdown, two and a half year consolidation, but as opposed to plummeting and continuing lower, we're seeing buyers step in here in the mid 1600s. Uh, and I said, this is very, very interesting. This is different price behavior that we are are seeing now. Uh, so sure enough that you know we we exited our our shorts. We don't get everything right, but we got that short short call right. Uh, and we exited our shorts at a profit. And I'm glad we did because that sort of initial hint of a market failing to carry through to the downside after it breaks down was in fact the the technical signature for what we've seen here over the last uh, three to four months. Uh, and granted, gold is down here about $100 from the peak from last week. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the the big picture for investors to keep in mind is that we have seen what is called a false breakdown in gold after a two and a half year consolidation. False breakdown. So you get sellers, but as opposed to that market carrying through to the downside, someone says, someone steps in and says, probably uh, you know, China or India or one of the central banks, they step in and they say, we'll use this as an opportunity. And so when you have all of those shorts who piled on, myself included at the time, but even more of them who are looking to pile onto their shorts as gold was breaking down, and then you have a reversal, all those shorts are forced to cover. And that explains the quite rapid. I mean, we saw gold move higher by uh, you know three hundred and twenty-five dollars in just the last couple months, following that that false breakdown. Um, so, I mean, the key takeaway here is uh, a false breakdown tends to be a signal for a strong move in the opposite direction as as the breakdown. This works in both directions. If you've seen a false break upward, it can also be a very ominous signal on the way lower. But in the case of gold now, we had the false breakdown. And so then you look at this consolidation, you say, okay, we're still in the consolidation going back to 2020. This is going on almost three years now. Uh, but with the bias of the false breakdown, that tells me that this market is trying to resolve this three-year consolidation to the upside. Uh, and so here we are today, You know, we've pulled back from 1960, we're at 1860. Uh, you know, people are maybe a little bit discouraged here over the short run, but the the big picture of gold right now is that following a false breakdown, this market should be expected to bias to the upside when it's ready. And mm -hmm. according to my research, it's going to be ready late this year into 2024. And so, any further pullback here uh, into the low 1800s, perhaps even upper 1700s. Uh, really could be the the last opportunity to be accumulating gold before uh, it permanently clears that that two thousand handle. So you know exactly as you're talking about that two thousand handle, kind of on the opposite side of the false breakdown. Do markets tend to break through their resistance zones on a third attempt, or does it take more time than that? It's one of these weird things. I, I've never, I've never read this. I, I have done a lot of study of technical analysis textbooks, and you know, this is a discipline that goes back to the 
the Japanese rice markets in the 1700s. You had you had traders in Japan of various grains of rice that analyzed the individual daily price action to try to understand what their competitors were doing. So, um, you know, I, I try to appro- approach this discipline uh, by learning as much as I can about people who have come before me in this. But one of the things that has simply been an observation that I've picked up over you know the last 15 years is that markets rarely break higher on the third attempt at a, a strong... And when you're talking all-time highs, that's a very strong resistance level. It just seems to be one of these, uh, I don't know, one of these psychological facets of the markets. Third time is rarely successful. And you often get, in fact, quite a strong reaction away from the third attempt. Mm-hmm. And so really functionally speaking, I think 1960, 1975, we were just in that range last week. That's close enough to the 2000 handle for me to say that was the third attempt. Uh, and it should be... So again, not the third attempt, but the fourth. Sometimes the fourth attempt is a, a series of mini attempts. So you have the one major attempt, but it'll back off for a couple of weeks. And then if you want to call that the fourth and a half attempt uh, is the one that we are looking at to be successful. Mm-hmm. So Christopher, does that $2,000 round number also serve as a very psychological barrier for the gold market as well, or for, for any market in that case? It really does. And when I zoom out this gold chart here uh, to the big picture, uh, just listen to my description here for a moment. Gold, even though gold has spent a number of weeks above 2000 back in 2020, and again, uh, when the war between Russia and Ukraine was breaking out uh, this time last year, there has not been a single monthly close above the 2000 handle in this entire last two and a half years that gold has been flirting with with that figure. Uh, So clearly, it's gold is probing. It's popping its head up and it's not ready yet. And it's testing the waters again and sellers are more than happy to come in. Um, you know, So I think the first sign that we're going to know that this market is really gearing up is going to be that monthly close. When traders are, are willing to hold gold at a 2000 level at the end of a calendar month, that should probably prelude the breakout to new all-time highs by just a few months. So do you think there's going to be, you know, a fundamental trigger present itself to cause the next breakout or do the technicals signal the move and a narrative will be given to it once it does? It's it's an interesting philosophical discussion, you know, what's coming first, the chart or the fundamentals. <laughs> the truth is that the fundamentals are coming first. However, as human beings, we cannot know all of the fundamentals. It is impossible for any one human being to know all of the fundamentals because the fundamentals are the sum of all the human beings that are participating in a market. And each of those human beings is thinking 10,000 different things about the given market. And so it's impossible for any one person to know what all of the people are thinking about their buy and sell decisions. Uh I, re- I remember this uh, with uh, going back before the, uh, the the coronavirus, by the way, in uh, late 2019, with respect to the gold to silver ratio. If people are ever curious, they can go back to the old archives and 
uh, on the YouTube videos that we publish and also some of the articles that I publish, I was watching the gold to silver ratio, which had been below the 85 level as far as the number of ounces of silver required to purchase one ounce of gold. It had been below that 85 level for about 25 years. Uh, and it was consolidating and consolidating, but it kept trying to poke its head above 85 as we were getting into 2018 and, and 2019. And I remember saying to my subscribers at the time, uh, something is setting up here. Something is coming uh, because this gold to silver ratio is threatening to break upward. You know, everyone's saying at the moment in late 2019 that silver is such an excellent buy relative to gold. And maybe from the big picture perspective, it is. But over the short run, something very contrary to that argument is actually going to manifest, where silver is getting ready to lose a lot of value, even relative to gold. And I didn't know what it was, but I could see the gold to silver ratio threatening to break upward. And so you fast forward to February of 2020, and we saw the gold to silver ratio not only break 85, but we saw it make a new all-time high all time in the history of mankind in the history of planet earth as far as things are measured in a, a common universal currency where the gold to silver ratio once it broke through that 85 level went up to 128 to 1 the lowest that silver had ever been valued in the midst of the coronavirus panic relative to gold and i didn't know ahead of time that it was going to be the coronavirus, and it was going to be people irrationally selling silver relative to gold. And the moves can be irrational, but they're still happening. You know, this is still actually occurring. Uh, so it, it was like that fundamental, the coronavirus was being forecasted by the markets ahead of time. I could see it, but I couldn't tell you what it was going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we when we talk about gold here, you know, this type of price action, if I was to take a guess, an educated guess, based on my knowledge of the state of, of the world, what is going to be the trigger that's going to cause gold to close above 2000 on, on monthlies and then make a new all-time high? And by the way, once gold triggers a new all-time high, we will have a measured target of $2,535 per ounce on spot gold. Uh, and that is a measured target based on the amplitude of the widest part of this consolidation that's been going on uh, for the last two and a half years. And an expectation that all of those hedgers, all of those short sellers, all those manipulators that are acting behind the scenes that have been trying to short gold here into this correction will be forced to cover their shorts once you're at a clear new all-time high. 25.35. Uh, but just to come back to the original question, um, in my expectation, it's either going to be expansion of the war uh, into mainland Europe outside of the current confines of Ukraine, uh, perhaps getting a, a NATO uh, partner involved in some sort of way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, God help us if that happens, but that's one possibility. And the other possibility is a complete about face by the Federal Reserve based on some, you know, some institution going under or some part of the economy really suffering. Uh, you know, and all this talk of we're not going to cut rates, which are words verbatim out of Jerome Powell's mouth uh, at the last meeting. He just does an about face. He throws that out the window and we get sudden rate cuts and the market says, wow, we weren't pricing this in at all. So boom, it's time for some new highs.
just like a couple of years ago when he was saying, we're not even thinking about thinking about raising rates. And then within a 10 month cycle, not only have they raised, but you know, you're higher by 4.75 points. I mean, strongest hiking campaign in a generation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we're talking about the difference between gold and silver or, or that ratio, does the silver market differ at all, or if at all structurally from the gold market, or are they just, you know, relatively so related that we might as well be talking or, or making the same assertions just with more volatility? I mean, over the long over the long term, uh, on the major moves, you, you can definitely talk about uh, silver moving in the direction of gold, but with with more volatility. Um, but that said, if we if we focus on kind of the intermediate, what to expect here during the time frame of this move that we just highlighted in gold, uh, you know, and just to reiterate, we're talking about a back off here lasting into the middle part of the year gearing up for a breakout either late this year into the first part of 2024 and then that measured target into 2025 so if we if we take this in let's say chunks of the next uh the next two years um silver has been underperforming since basically you know late 2020 um you have gold that is flat for this consolidation over the last two and a half years you have silver that is in a very clear declining trend, a gently sloping declining trend. Um, you know, silver made a, a significant new low late last year, whereas gold did not. So, you know, a lot of those uh, underperformance types of characteristics happening with, with silver over the intermediate term. Uh, but if we talk about then what to expect from silver, uh, in this cycle, in the next two years, as far as realistic intermediate term perspectives that investors can use to take high reward to risk uh, investment opportunities here. Here's the outlook for silver. Um, You have a bull flag formation is what we would call it in technical analysis. Uh, And a bull flag is, if you can imagine the shape of a, a flagpole, so you have a, a near vertical kind of flagpole, and then you have the flag itself, which gently slopes in the opposite direction as the impulsive move. And the you want to ask sort of what is the what was that vertical impulsive move uh, that would represent the pole of the bull flag formation? It was the move following the low of the coronavirus panic. This is only three years ago, but people sometimes forget. Silver almost tripled in price in five months, from 11 to just over 30. Nearly a tripling in price in five months. Mm -hmm. That is an impulsive move. And since then, we have seen overlapping waves, overlapping downward sloped waves that have gotten a lot of people frustrated and caused a lot of people to sell uh, and basically convinced people that there's nothing exciting going on here. But if you juxtapose the big picture analysis of gold and you say, gold just had a false breakdown, that sets us up for a bullish resolution. It sets up gold for a bullish resolution within the intermediate term. The bullish resolution will have a calculated target of a new all-time high into the mid-2000s. Silver, therefore, is in a bull flag formation. 
in technical analysis, when we see these bull flags, the, the saying is a flag stands at half mast. A flag stands at half mast. And all that means is that the pause that we are in now tends to occur halfway in the larger move. So you have the first impulsive move from $11 to $30. You have this gently sloping consolidation that we've been in. And then you have the second move, which tends to be similar amplitude as the first move. And that should correspond more or less for when gold is gearing up to break to new all-time highs. Um, so, you know, maybe we have, uh, here we are as we're speaking, silver is trading at $21.90. I think there's uh, downside risk to come in silver back to the low 20s, perhaps even a brief uh, 19 handle coming within the next few months to kind of get the last of the bears to sell. Uh, sub 20 silver again would be all the headlines. And I think from there, when we get that low in gold, silver breaks the downward structure. It breaks the flag part of the bull flag formation. And you get a measured target of that exact same near $20 amplitude added on to the breakout point. And there are fundamental reasons why this happened. It's it's It has to do with shorting. It has to do with how many speculators, hedgers, manipulators, everyone, all in, the, all, all in the above. How many of these people have entered the market in this gently uh, downsloping pause that silver has been in? And then the fact that these people are going to have to cover their positions, and they usually cover causing a similar amplitude as, as the initial move. Uh, that often they missed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in net sum, uh, what I see is as gold is making new all-time highs, plus or minus into that 2,500 figure, uh, we add approximately $20 onto the breakout point for silver at 25. It's going to give us mid-40s, mid-40s for silver as we're talking 2024, perhaps into early 2025. That makes a whole lot of sense when you think about silver from the big picture perspective. Mid 40s, 45 or so gets us to within $5 of the 1980 all time high, the 2011 all time high. Uh, I think that level is going to act as a magnet for silver, psychologically speaking. It's just going to just draw it right up there. Um, and then I will propose to you that when we are talking about mid 2000s gold and 45 to $50 silver, uh, any investor with significant leverage exposure into the sector should be taking a huge step back at that point and simply considering how much defensive action they should take. Uh, this is going to be well after a significant new profit opportunity in the metals markets, if this outlook is correct. So investors should be sitting on significant gains at that point. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to just suggest as an early looking thought that when we get to $50 silver again, uh, it will not simply blast through $50 immediately. There will be somewhat of a process, some, somewhat of a reaction that needs to happen if silver is going to, uh, in fact, do that in the future. Because again, kind of what we talked about with gold, the third touch of that all-time high level probably isn't going to be successful, right? Exactly right. And so if you think about it, that's what's setting up for silver. Uh, as you just said, just over a longer time scale, this is going to be 
This is going to be a 45-year timescale, 1980 through 2025, and it'll be the third attempt. And there is um, there there are examples of markets that when they make that third attempt, they only need a mild retracement, uh, you know, twenty uh, percent, maybe one of the one of the fib ratios, thirty-one point eight percent retracement. Let's say there there are examples of that to study in the textbooks. There are also examples of markets that need to do a complete retracement and gear up for a completely separate bull market some years into the future. So um, again, I think we have a a significant profit opportunity um, setting up over the next 18 to 24 months. And then I think we need to take a, a big step back when we get to that point. So Christopher, does the relative performance of the of the US dollar act as a major counter trend to the precious metals performance here as well? It does over periods of time for sure. Um, you know, certain periods of time that that inverse correlation between the US dollar and the metals is stronger. Uh certain times uh though, however, you can see gold and the US dollar moving in the same direction. Um you know, and that would actually be a scenario that tends to occur more during geopolitical crises, such as wars or any sort of uh, you know disturbance in in the geopolitical realm around the world. When you see a bid to safety or perhaps even a deflationary scare, that's kind of when you see gold and the U.S. dollar move together. From the longer term inflationary outlook, though, if this is going to be more about the Federal Reserve, let's say pivoting next year uh we would we would expect the us dollar and gold to move more opposite one another mm-hmm. and that's when silver really uh shines really leads to the upside because in an inflationary environment you have the wheels of industry that are still spinning and so you have 80% of that silver use which is still being demanded by industry you have that really remaining high as, as far as the demand uh, side of things go. And then you have the fears of inflation causing people to seek silver for, uh, you know, for protection against the currency. Uh, but of course, there's only 20% that would be remaining. And so you have that sort of fire hose trying to squeeze through a very small space uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. So what is your take on inflation, you know, looking ahead here, Christopher? I know it's the future. Nobody has a crystal ball for the future. But, you know, we've talked a little bit about the Fed kind of doing an about face here. Do you see that as more of a reaction to, as you said, some financial institution breaking? And what does that next about face for the Fed, what is their effect, if you've put any thought towards that, have on inflation? Yeah, I, you know, when I look at the big picture uh, for inflation, going back to the 1970s, uh, the 1970s saw a clear series of, of waves higher in inflation, leading to uh, the peak in 1980 when, when Volcker stepped in and, and, and really uh, hiked interest rates up to 17, 18%. And, and since then, from 1980 through 2020, we had a 40 year period of disinflation with some brief periods of deflation. Uh, and so, I think it's interesting that when you look at the the recent inflation statistics that people have been talking about go back to roughly the year 1980-81, you're looking at 40-year high inflation figures, the CPI and the core CPI. Uh, 
the current narrative is that this is a one-off event that inflation this is a temporary thing that happened after the response measures of of the coronavirus uh and then some supply chain issues perhaps also relating to uh to energy uh coming out of russia uh so they're considering this a one-off event but if i analyze the inflation chart the same way that i would analyze you know let's say a chart of silver or the s&p 500 or any other any other metric uh it actually looks like to me that inflation has broken out to the upside and that you had a you had a very clear trend of declining deflation lasting for 40 years and so we've had a breakout and anytime you break upward from a 40 year declining trend you're not going to simply move higher in a straight line after that mm-hmm. uh it's going to move in a series of waves and so we saw the first wave, the breakout. That's what caused the Federal Reserve to react here. And the Fed and the markets are basically acting like they've already got this under control, that it was this one-off event. Uh, but what I'm going to be looking for is, is to see if the inflation uh, is perhaps going to only come back down on the CPI to, let's say, the 4 4.5% range this summer, mm-hmm. as opposed to the 2% goal that the Fed has. And if that's true if we plateau uh not not plateau if we trough at that four to four and a half percent range i think what that's setting up for is then a rounding upward again in inflation which would not be what the market is is pricing in at all um you know the market is pricing in that this is uh, that this is over it was it was a one-time a one-time inflation shot and the fed has it under control and so i think if the markets go from believing uh, you know, if the markets go from pricing in, the Fed has this under control to, oh my goodness, it's not coming down to 2%. And in fact, after coming from eight back to four, it's actually rounding back upward again. Wow. That could be a, a dramatic psychology shift across the markets. Mm-hmm. So Christopher, as, as you're, you know, keenly focused on obviously the metals markets and as well, the, the miners here on kind of the other half of your service that you provide. Why do you think that the the miners are languishing so bad behind the the metals prices here? You know, it seems when we go back to um, previous cycles where gold was around this $1,900, $1,800 level, miners were a lot more highly valued than they are right now. So what are your thoughts towards that? Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. And just to give a few numbers as to how egregious uh this this bifurcation in the market is now compared to the last cycle i'm looking at companies that have uh in the last cycle let's talk about after the crash of 2008 uh to the peak of 2011 so you had like a solid three years there of of that bull market uh we saw values for let's say gold in the ground we're just going to be talking about reserves proven and probable reserves as they are officially labeled in canada you had valuations on companies sitting on companies sitting on reserves that were three hundred to three hundred and fifty dollars per ounce in the ground. I have the data going back for fifteen years to look at all this. What companies were valued at, and we're talking companies that were not producing gold; they were simply sitting on, let's say, deposits in that in that uh, reserve category. Exact same companies today. I'm seeing reserves selling for twenty to twenty five dollars in the ounce. Uh, per ounce in the ground. 
Uh, I'm looking at companies that are producing gold where their reserves are selling for $45, $50, So anywhere from a 5X to a 10X undervaluation for proven and probable reserves compared to where this market was 10 years ago with bullion prices being exactly the same as they are today. Uh, and so, of course, those those undervaluation uh, metrics then apply across the sector because you have measured and indicated gold, which is a, a lesser confidence of gold in the ground. Then you have inferred ounces, and then you have expiration only companies. But those valuations are are so uh, undervalued compared to where they were in the previous bull market. Uh, it, it's across the board. Um, so, as to the question of why, the best reason that I can give for that is that when we look at the ratio of the Dow Jones Industrial Average compared to gold over these last eight years, since the bottom in 2015, gold prices are up about 85%, nearly a doubling in the bullion price from just above 1,000 to just below 2,000. As that is true, the ratio of the Dow to gold is completely flat. It's completely flat, which means even as gold has nearly doubled in price, so has the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Or we could fill in, you know, the S and P five hundred. We could fill in the the VTI total world stock market. The point that I'm trying to make is that as gold has nearly doubled over the last eight years, so ha have general stock markets. And so the mainstream investor is nowhere near this market. Uh, back in 2011, 2010, 2011, uh, I had some friends who knew what I did for a living, who knew how I was investing. I had some friends that were not in the commodities or the hard money or the precious metals circles start to approach me and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking of taking a thousand or ten thousand dollars and 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 buying some gold. What do you think? You know, should I do that? Um, and this was in 2010 when gold was, let's say, fifteen hundred per ounce, seventeen hundred in that range. Mm -hmm. In this cycle, I have no one in my larger social circles who is approaching me asking for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's only people who have already done the research. They've already, uh, you know, had their aha moment, their wake up moment, where they which we all have, right? We all have that moment in our education as investors where we sort of come to the understanding of the true nature of fiat currency, the state of the world. And we say, you know, we, we've got to do at least something about this. We've got to move at least a portion of our capital outside of the fiat regime. So I think there's a clear difference uh, with the lack of the mainstream investor who has been content to keep their money sitting in, let's say, mainstream stock index funds whether 401k here in the United States, whether uh, you know RSIP, uh, you know funds that you guys have in Canada or the superannuation funds in Australia, investors are happy to do that because mm -hmm. they've done just as well in stock funds as in as in uh, bullion. So that speculative bid is not in the precious metal sector now the same way that it was. Uh, back in 2010 and 2011, except for two very brief windows. Uh, that move, that initial move off the 2015 low, we saw a wave of investors come in. Valuations started to revert to where they were supposed to be. 
But then you basically had like a three and a half year pause or this bull flag type formation that we're talking about with silver. So people said, ah, oh, you know, forget about this, forget about this. And then we had that that brief four month move out of the coronavirus lows where you saw a little bit of enthusiasm come back into the sector. But then what have we had? Another two and a half years of grind. So it's it's basically like this market wants to take the least, uh, you know, the least number of people with it on these waves higher. And I would just say for investors who have discretionary capital, you know, capital that is not needed to pay the rent or the mortgage or or, or put food on the table next month. Uh, while nothing is ever guaranteed in the markets, it appears to be that we have the opportunity for a home run pitch being sent right down the plate to us now and over these next 18 months. Uh, that appears to be the case. That appears th that is what I'm aligning my own capital with, my firm's capital and the investors that we represent. And and what we are doing is saying, okay, look, if the macro thesis is correct, gold had the false breakdown. Within the next 18 months, we get a new all-time high. Silver makes this next move to 50. We get a psychology shift where at least some of those mainstream investors start coming back into the market. And you have valuations, let's say, maybe they don't get all the way to where they were in 2011, but even if those valuations only get halfway to where they were in 2011, you know, to have, to have a company that's sitting on a million ounces of gold in the measured and indicated category, where right now that gold is, is selling for $5 per ounce in the ground, and in a healthy, normal bull market, that would be selling for $50 per ounce in the ground. I think investors who have um, investors who want to try to change their lives over the next 24 months, they have an opportunity here. Nothing is ever guaranteed, but but you have to ask for opportunities to come your way in the markets. And then when opportunities present themselves, you have to take a chance. You have to seize an opportunity, and at least see at least see where it goes. Mm -hmm. And I think we have one of those opportunities that is presenting itself here. Well, part of what you talk about, or part of your philosophy, let's say, of seizing that opportunity is becoming what you call a sovereign human being. So what does that mean to you, Christopher? And, and why is that such an important topic that you try to convey to your audience on a fairly frequent basis? Well... You know, thanks for for uh, giving the opportunity to uh, to speak about this a little bit. Uh, it's really what motivates me uh, to wake up in the morning. Uh, I see resources, I see money, I, I see the whole finance world as a means to an ends. Uh, it's not the ends in and of itself. Um, I see this as a, a means to an ends to achieve human liberty. Uh, human freedom, more or less, from having to uh, run on the hamster wheel in a in a sort of uh, modern day version of slavery, where you're not literally a slave, where you've signed, you know, where where you're being put in shackles, uh, but where you're tied down to a certain situation uh, because you have to work to pay the bills, to pay the rents, to pay for the car. And you're never able to get off that cycle. Uh, 
And what's most motivating to me is the thought that by individuals, everyone at a time, but then collectively us as a, as a civilization, uh, being able to get off that uh, cycle, off that hamster wheel, that what we actually do when we get to that point in our lives of earning our freedom financially is that we free up the, the higher faculties within us for development, how one sees fit. And to that, it's each their own, whether that is something to do with uh, the arts or with science or with exploration or spending time in nature or connecting with loved ones. Uh, that's what motivates me really uh, to start each day. It's, it's trying to get people off of the hamster wheel. Because I think when we get more and more people that, that earn their freedom to move about this planet with their own two feet, to look around and decide what they want to do with their energy, now that they don't have to go to a specific place, fight traffic, sit in a car, uh, you know, take your lunch break when you're told to, when you can act with your own set of instructions in the world. Uh, the possibilities for us all as a civilization become greatly enhanced. I, I truly believe this. Uh, and yes, there will be some people who, you know, just choose to lay around and kind of mooch off the system a little bit. And the system will never be perfect. Uh, but if we look at the things that have happened in this country since more people have been raised over the last hundred years away from the poverty level, away from just spinning their wheels the advances that we've seen as a society, uh, that really that really motivates me. So that's that's what I want more people to have the uh, the potential to achieve. You know, maybe this is the century that we go to uh, to the stars, either literally or figuratively speaking. I, I think that's pretty exciting. Absolutely, and as you say, it's it's ideally it's the means to an end. It's it's the ability to reclaim you know, your, your freedom of the most important resource and, and commodity that we have. And that's our time, right? Said it exactly right, Tom. <laughs> so, you know, Christopher, of course, you and I have spoken a couple of times and for those that are interested in that story, they can go back. But part of, part of your story, I guess, is related to war a little bit. And you have an article on your website entitled On War and Gold. So how does gold relate to war? And is the war in Ukraine, in your opinion, just another foreign war, kind of like Afghanistan, that happens away from Western eyes and is played upon selectively for news narratives? Mm, that's a really uh that's a really important question. Um the the uh, the backdrop of it, yeah, and and sort of the the takeaway of that uh, of that article is that I saw with my own two not two eyes between two thousand six and two thousand nine when I was in Afghanistan and Iraq. I saw that although a lot of the people overseas, a lot of the soldiers that I worked with, are are very well meaning individuals and patriots, and and we love freedom, and so do myself. I, I consider myself a patriot. Although a lot of that is true. It appeared to me, based on my experience in the war, that there are other powers at play that desire to keep us as a civilization in a state of war uh, quasi-perpetually, uh, and that there are ulterior motives 
for that. I mean, this is not just me putting on a tin, you know, a tin foil hat here. You can go back to President Eisenhower, who warned of the military industrial complex and what would happen in the 1950s, uh, you know, if we gave uh, the the war makers the the control of government and decision making and an unlimited budget. Uh, so you get back to to what I experienced. Uh, this state of perpetual war, and then and then a thinking person says to themselves, "Well, uh, why is this possible? How is this possible?" And and truly, the underlying thing that allows uh, governments to spend beyond their means is having control of a printing press or a currency that is not tied to something tangible. Uh, could be a lot of different things, but throughout five thousand years, gold tends to be the the fiscal enforcer of discipline. On governments that attempt to exert wars, you know, beyond their means, and and so that's that's the uh, financial side of things. And if we think about for a moment, well, roughly a third of the U.S. budget goes toward defense, and we think so. Okay, so if the average person had, let's say, uh, you know, a third of their tax budget returned to them every year because it was not being siphoned away to blow people up on the other side of the planet. What could you do if you had, you know, if the average family that's just barely able to make ends meet has an extra one third of their taxes returned to them? I mean, that's the difference between being able to get outside in nature or being able to take courses to enrich your mind, you know, b- being able to connect with other human beings, right? So, so it's uh, this perpetual war is a collective drain on our potential uh, as human beings. And so that's why I'm really. Uh, philosophically passionate about about gold serving as an anchor to the currency. More on a day to day basis, though, I recognize that that doesn't necessarily mean gold has to rise every day, every week, or even every year, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I want to try to stay on top of the waves. But from a big picture perspective, I, I believe that is the importance for uh, for gold in the monetary system. Yeah, just serving as a real constraint on the government being able to spend, you know infinitely almost it seems you know spend constantly have a deficit every single year that doesn't seem like you would run your household so why why do we accept it from our government exactly and we shouldn't the only reason that we do collectively maybe not you and I Tom and and people listening to this but collectively as as a, a society is because the average person is not aware of the way in which they are being taxed you know they call inflation the hidden tax and this is the tax that is being uh, levied against people in the same way to either bail out companies or blow up you know societies on the other side of the planet uh you know and orwell makes a case if you go back and read some of his books especially in 1984 um, you know, and you have to remember George Orwell, his, his real name was Eric Blair. And he was uh, in the 1930s and 40s, he was privy to a lot of levels of the uh, upper society of uh, Great Britain, a lot of the decision makers in, in government. And he talked about this, this policy of perpetual war that was uh, being developed at the time. Um, and not simply as a means, uh, you know, of, of creating fear, although, you know, there is some of that in there as well but really as a mechanism of siphoning off wealth from the average person uh, because some of these you know some of these embedded interests in the in the uh, control structure began to see in the early 1900s how efficient we were becoming 
as a species. You know, the average person being raised up from poverty as a result of the industrial revolution and having time to think, right, for themselves. And when you have time to think for yourself, one of the thoughts that tends to come to people is, hey, what do I need these uh, so-called leaders telling me what to do and what to think? Maybe I can think for myself and act for myself. And so, you know, one of the tools that that they used that Orwell describes in this series of perpetual wars, and, and he was referring metaphorically to World War II and the wars that were to come after, uh, is is just as you mentioned, Tom, it's it's actually a policy uh, of trying to do this, uh, you know, trying to extract wealth through the hidden uh, tax of inflation, which is even more the reason why when we have opportunities like this, I think investors need to seize them. I think it's morally imperative that you try to raise yourself up to the point of being uh, at least sovereign enough uh, to make decisions for yourself about where you want to live, how you want to work, and and how you want to spend the majority of your time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of funny as we think about the hidden tax, as you call it, of inflation. There's a another previous guest of the show operates the the podcast words and numbers and between him and his co-host they have a conversation fairly regularly about the idea that the way that they remove taxes before you get your paycheck is another way of really kind of keeping it below your consciousness in a way right if you had to pay out let's say 30% of your paycheck once you got it every time at the end of the week, let's say on alternating weeks that most people got their paychecks, they would really probably start to question, what is all this money being spent on? And instead, we take it off the top. You don't even have to think about it. Don't worry, let us take care of it for you. And it's just, you know, reframing it like that is just a completely different way to think about it. Yet, very few people talk about it in that way. Totally right. And the reason that they do that, it's a deliberate strategy, but the reason that they do that is to avoid riots in the streets and rebellions, you know, and people with pitchforks uh, showing up at the Capitol would make the, uh, you know, the insurrection attempt, uh, you know, a couple of years ago look like, uh, you know, walk in the park. Uh, if people realized that they were being robbed in this kind of way, their labor was being stolen from them, uh, you know, and so... Uh, yeah, I think all these all these things uh, work in there. It's even it's even more the reason why it's important for us to protect ourselves. First of all, you know, make sure ourselves and our families are are going to be okay and make it through. Uh, but also try to share information with people who uh, are are open to hearing about it, open to learning about it. You can't you can't help everyone, but even if you can share one thought with one other person. Um, and so a seed, I think that makes a difference in the big picture. Absolutely. And, you know, of, of course there are, as you say, there are going to be people that are open to hearing new things like this, but, you know, Chris, I, I really appreciate your time and sharing or your, your ability to share these, share these thoughts with me and, and my audience today. Is there anything else that you'd like to to touch on that maybe we haven't before we wrap up here? Yes, it's it's just that um, I think the challenge for uh, precious metals and currency investors is to take what we've just talked about, like th this knowledge of of the state of the world, and it's it's true and it's important. 
that we be aware of it and we protect ourselves. Uh, but to keep that in one part of their consciousness, because simultaneous with that, as we talked about earlier, the other thing that's happening is that as a society, as, as a species, we are advancing. Uh, you know, this may be the generation, for example, where we get to Mars, where we get beyond Mars, uh, or we develop new technologies that allow us to live longer or experience the world in new kinds of ways. So even though I am uh, passionate about the ownership of precious metals from the standpoint of wanting to stop a lot of the darkness that that tries to pull us down, uh, I'm actually quite optimistic on our species as a whole. So it's like, despite those things that are going on, uh, we collectively have a lot of potential. So let's just not forget about that as we have these discussions. Let's let's keep a little space for uh, possibility still in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say it's it's important, you know, as investors that we not only focus on just the monetary aspect of this, but also using again our our most valuable resource, which is time effectively because you know there are there are people with billions or millions of dollars in this world that are unhappy because they don't they're not maybe deliberate about the way that they are spending their time you know maybe getting out into nature doing something that you're passionate about because as as you and I discussed before we hit record here laying laying in a pile full of money probably isn't going to give you much much satisfaction Exactly right. I mean, to each their own. As long as you're not hurting mm -hmm. anyone else, do what you please. But probably after after laying in that pile of cash for for one or two nights, you're going to say, "Wait a minute, I think there's more <laughs> that I should be doing here." Absolutely, Christopher. You're you're available on Twitter at iGlobalGold and iGoldAdvisor.com. Anywhere else you'd like to point to? No, that should be it. People can reach me there. Uh, I'd love to uh, love to hear from uh, fellow investors or or global citizens. Uh, and I wish everyone the best. And thank you, Tom, for having me on the show once again. Not a problem, Christopher. Always always appreciate your time and our conversations around around the recording as well. Thanks so much. Thank you. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.